The most memorable introduction to a class that I ever got in my many years of school was from a teacher of a church history course who gave his undergrad students, including little redheaded me, a little talk about what he actually expected us to remember from this course. It's humbling to think back to college now two decades ago and have to admit that there are whole classes I took of whose content I could tell you nothing. I don't remember one thing the teacher said, even if, as I hope and think, it did have some effect on me. But then there are those moments that do stand out, individual insights that were handed to me. And one of them was this, although it was slow dawning, the Bible tells not many stories, but one story. That is the story of creation, fall, redemption. I've summarized it before for my own students as the Bible tells the story of what God is doing to glorify himself by redeeming his fallen creation. I talked to Trevin Wax, who himself has spent a good amount of time trying to give this insight to more people in the church. We sat down and discussed pitfalls for those who first see this insight, and we talked about resources that will help us show others. The Bible Study Magazine podcast is brought to you by Bible Study Magazine, delivering tools and methods for Bible study from respected scholars and church leaders. Right now, start a free trial. Get six months of fresh insights on achieving greater Bible literacy. Visit BibleStudyMagazine.com slash trial today. Trevin Wax, welcome to the Bible Study Magazine podcast. We've had you on the cover of the Bible Study Magazine, and I happen to know that you are deeply involved in not only doing Bible study, but in promoting it. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Could you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us who you are and what you do. Well, it's a it's a privilege to be on with you today. Um, so my name is Trevin Wax. I am the director for Bible and Reference Publishing at Lifeway Christian Resources, uh, I am the general editor for the Gospel Project, a, a small group curriculum that's used in in churches across the country and around the world for kids all the way up to adults. And um, I'm I'm married to my wife Karina. We have three children. We live in Middle Tennessee. Uh, I've been serving as a, a teaching pastor at my in my church. And um, yeah, so that's just that's a, a little bit of who I am and and what I do. So you're, fam you're familiar with the needs of the church. You serve the church in many ways. You have been in missions as well in Romania. Is that right? That's right. That's right. I lived for five years in Romania along the Hungarian border. And you are familiar with academic biblical studies. You've got, is it a PhD from Southeastern? Is that right? That's right. That's right. And uh, one of the concerns we have here at Faith life. I mean, the mission we have is to use technology to equip the church to grow in the light of the Bible. So you're checking off all our boxes here. And there's one particular thing you said that made me want to talk to you about our topic today. You said you are the editor of The Gospel Project. The first season of the Bible Study Magazine podcast is all about biblical literacy. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, the biggest advance I feel like I ever made 
in my biblical literacy was after 20 years in Christian education, somebody acquainted me with the one story of scripture and my roommate in seminary helped me really understand how every part of the Bible relates to that one story. I think that's a special burden of the gospel project and therefore you must have had a similar experience. I wanted to ask you about that. When did you first understand that the Bible tells one story? Well, you know, looking back, I see that I, I, I think I learned this in in church growing up. I just didn't see it as connected as it perhaps had been presented to me until later. It it really was uh, when I was doing church ministry and was involved in. Um, uh, I, I think one year in Romania, I read through the Bible chronologically, that sort of following the story arc of Scripture, and that that alerted me to this, but. Uh, really, in in the the years that I began working on the Gospel Project, um, it came down to the the fact that we have a a biblical illiteracy problem, not just in the culture but also in the church, and feeling burdened about that, um, and feeling like I had I was more familiar with the Bible's overarching storyline than many of the people that I was called to serve. And so in local church ministry as an associate pastor, even before I came to Lifeway, I, I felt this urge and this need to, to help people connect the dots, uh, to help them see how the Bible fits together and tells one story. And, and one of the things I did back then was I, I would give away um, Bible storybooks for kids. That There's one called the Big Picture Story Bible put out by Crossway. Yes. Um, the, another, the Jesus Storybook Bible, of course, is famous by Solomon Lloyd-Jones. Yeah, we've used that one too. Yeah, and I would I would give those to, to families. And I think the parents thought I was giving it to them for them to read to their kids, and I was. But it was also so that the parents would 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 understand the Bible storyline. Uh, because right. I think that's, a, that's very important. Would see that every story whispers Christ's name. That's right. That's right. Can, can you be biblically literate without knowing the Bible's overarching story? Well, I mean, it depends on how we talk about literacy. Can you hear and read parts of the Bible and understand stories and perhaps know different proverbs and, and things? I would say to some extent, yes. Just like, you know, you can read, you know, a novel from from Shakespeare or from Victor Hugo or whatnot and may, and may not understand the whole history behind it or the context and yet still get something of value or get maybe the main gist or the point or the, uh, the, 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 the central theme. I think that's possible, but to, to truly be literate in the way that you're actually understanding the Bible on its own terms, the way it's been handed down to us, I think you've got to know the overarching story in order for a lot of those different pieces of information to, to really make sense. What other than the gospel project not that you can't talk about that, might be the top one or two or three best resources you know of for acquainting people with the one story of Scripture. You know, they're, they want to be biblically literate. They do understand, let's say, the Sermon on the Mount and many of the individual parables of Jesus, but you drop them in somewhere in one of the Minor Prophets or uh, in one of the more obscure portions of the historical books, say, the end of Judges, and they just don't know what in the world is going on. What would you right. hand to them? Yeah, I you know I really I, I do find that um, a resource like the um, uh, um, so the Gospel Project of course is, would be top on my list. But when I think about something um, that that I, I would recommend to people, another resource I've had a privilege in having a part of has been um, George Guthrie, who's a professor at Regent College. But he has a book called "Read the Bible for Life," 
in which he shows these different ways of reading the Bible. We read the Bible for application. We read the Bible for all, all sorts of things, but including, and he has a very strong emphasis on the story of the Bible. And we actually have, have done a chronological day-by-day Bible with George Guthrie, in which he gives a little bit of context and a little bit of help for each day's readings as you read the Bible through chronologically to help you understand where you are in the storyline of scripture. And I think if someone were to read a a book on hermeneutics, how to understand the Bible, that has a, a strong focus on story, something that you get from something like George Guthrie's Read the Bible for Life, coupled together with a chronological reading through the Bible with some of those guided helps from him, I think that will go a very long way in, um, in, in coming to see the Bible's overarching storyline. Do you, looking back over your ministry, regret any sermons or Bible lessons you've ever taught, wishing that you had understood better at the time how the Bible's one story affected the passage that you were teaching? Can you tell us a story like that? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I have to, I mean, like all of us who have preached for a long time, we have, we shudder at some of the things that we first did. I'm one of my, I made one of the classic mistakes um, early on in my preaching ministry in Romania. There was a, a teenage girl in the village um, who had really impressed upon me this, this um, passage that she just felt like it really spoken to her, um, this passage from, from Job. And I, I can't recall the exact uh, chapter and verse off the top of my head. I'd have to look in my Bible to find it. I know it every time I every time I go back through it. But it's one of Job's friends actually giving uh, Job some bad counsel. Mm-hmm. Sort of, a, well, if you're faithful, then God will do this and this and this. And she had just so grabbed onto that and loved that. And well, anyway, I preached that passage. And after I preached it, the pastor said, you know, you know, you really need to understand the whole story of Job. To really understand that that passage, you didn't really preach that according to the whole book. And looking back, I could just I shake my head thinking about that one because I basically had preached that passage as if Job's friend was right instead of wrong. Right now, now that's just one example of, of not uh, of not putting a passage in its its context of the book you find it in. But certainly, it's easy for us as preachers sometimes to do that. With other passages, well, not putting in put putting those passages in the broader context of the entire Bible, right? As well, there there are these different levels of literary context and different levels of the story. Yeah. You've got your big yes. overarching meta narrative story, the grand story, and then all the individual stories. I mean, if we believe, as we do, that the Bible was inspired by God then all of the little stories cohere and they add up to the big story. And the the habit of paying attention to what this part of this little story is contributing to the whole, you know, let's say like um, my pastor preached on Mother's Day, uh, the, the most recent one on uh, Hannah's prayer. And mm-hmm. I always remember reading that and not connecting it at all with the rest of the story, which is pretty ridiculous because she ends her prayer by referencing the Lord's anointed and his king. And all I had to do was realize, you know, she's writing this, or she said these words in the time of the judges when there was no king. Who in the world is she talking about? And if I'd only asked that simple question um, that we are taught to ask, you know, what is the context? Then I I couldn't have failed to connect it to the overarching story. Now, now what do you do practically to make sure you are understanding where a given Old Testament story in particular fits into the big story of the Bible? What if you are unsure? Where do you go? 
Well, you know, I, I think uh, practically speaking, I'm usually asking questions of my sermons. And I think the questions we ask of our of our sermons lead us in a certain direction when it comes to our preparation. Um, and so a question that I will usually ask of a sermon is, is there anything in this sermon that a faithful Jew could not affirm? Meaning, if I'm simply preaching this Old Testament passage, um, without any reference to Jesus or the overarching storyline of scripture that culminates in the cross and resurrection and leads to new creation at the end of the the Bible, then am I really preaching the Old Testament as a Christian? That's that's the, the question that I ask. And that question naturally lifts me up from the path or from the, the place I am in in, in, a, in a particular text and, ha- and forces me to, to, to take something of a more expansive helicopter view of the whole Bible in order for me to answer that question as a, 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 a Christian. Now, that doesn't mean I don't preach that text as it, you know, as it applied in its original context and where it came in the story. Um, that's, I ask that question practically. And when I do, it generally always leads me at some point in the, in the sermon to either give some context at the beginning to help people understand where we are in the scriptural storyline or give some context at the end to show where we are and how this this text connects to the greater path that's leading us to Jesus. That for me, asking that question leads me to to Jesus. Excellent, excellent. Now, now you're a quote unquote professional. This is your full time job, actually more than one job doing these th- sorts of things. But somebody reading his or her Bible on his or her own could and should do the very same thing, right? I mean, you know, in order to understand any Old Testament passage, any Christian reading their Bible would have to do the same thing you just did. Do you agree? That's absolutely right. And I think there's some good uh, tools and commentaries that that help along with, with that, um, that, that sort of approach to, to reading Scripture in light of the big story. One of the most trusted and helpful names in this whole world of seeing the Bible as one story is Michael Goheen. And I want to recommend a resource he produced. Goheen's mobile-led course on the story of the Bible, produced by Faith Life, traces that story through six acts, all of which trace the progress of God's rule in the world, his ongoing work to put all things under Christ's feet. If one of the dangers of the one story of scripture approach is that it tends to zoom too far out above the details and even overrides them by flying so high. I find it reassuring when a teacher like Goheen makes certain to include so many individual Bible stories in his course. He doesn't turn the Old Testament into flyover country. He shows how the Exodus, the book of Samuel, the prophets, the judges, Nehemiah and Ezra, and other Old Testament portions advance the overall story of scripture. And naturally, he makes Jesus what he is, the center and climax of the story, as well as the end and telos of the story. If you want to achieve biblical literacy, there is little better you could do than go through this course. If you want to promote biblical literacy, then use this course in your Sunday school. There is no better story to tell. Ultimately, why tell any others? Pick up Goheen's mobile-led course, BI-201, The Story of the Bible. Watch it or listen to it in the Logos mobile app and read along in the full transcription if you want to grab a quote. BI-201, pick it up at logos.com. 
Now, we've talked about one of the ditches that I would anticipate would be the most common among any evangelical Christian, anybody interested in the Bible who's listening to this, and that would be failing to connect a given Old Testament story to Jesus. But you uh, referenced the other ditch. You said, I, I, I don't fail to preach, you know, the individual uh, contribution of this particular text to that overall story. Right. I've observed, you know, Calvinists are known uh, for having often a cage stage where um, you just need to stick them in a cage because they're getting too excited and they're trying to convert everybody else to what they know is a, uh, to their viewpoint, and they know it's going to cause a fight. You know, they need to be humble about this. And that, that's a good right, thing. Right. Um, I've observed the same thing, I think, in myself regarding this one story of scripture. And I I started to see, thankfully, very early on, some warnings about how not to let that overarching story overrule the individual contributions. I wonder if you could tell us a story like that. Have you done that? And how do you make sure that you don't fall into that other ditch? Well, one of the one of the primary ways that people often preach the Old Testament or the New Testament, for that matter, um, was as a way of 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 um, uh, just. What, tell me the moral point of the story and the moral application that I need to have from it, right? And so you take a character in the Bible and you associate that character with a certain moral or virtue or value, and then you would you would want to emulate that character. And so a lot of people that are discovering this this understanding of scripture that that leads to the great storyline and that it's all about Jesus and his redemption. It's not about what you do for God, but what God has done for you. A lot of people, when they grasp onto that, have something of an allergic reaction to anything that sounds moralistic, that sounds um, uh, moral, like focusing on morality or focusing on, you know, courage from your responsibility, your behavior. Yes, that's right. The, the problem with that is that the New Testament, specifically the Apostle Paul, specifically tells us that these accounts in the Old Testament are put there for our character formation. So for our for, as examples. So um, for us to to miss the exemplary life of Jesus or the exemplary life of some of the other heroes, I, recognizing that all of the heroes in the Bible have their flaws except for Jesus because they're all pointing us to him. Right. But to miss some of those, that character formation and that virtue inculcating aspect of the Bible and its stories is to miss a major portion, a major, one of the major reasons why these stories are given to us in the first place. So I, I think we do have to be very careful that we don't use the Old Testament the, or, or the, the big picture storyline of the Bible to flatten out and do away with those moral exhortations that the Bible does give us. We've got to let the Bible speak to us at a, in multiple layers rather than just in one. So totally agreed. I was just reading Sam Imadi, who was a contributor to the Lexham Survey of Theology that I got to work on last year here at Faith Life. And he said, I just loved this, it's so helpful. He said, we should be opposed to moralism, not to morals. Absolutely. And I remember going through a, a similar you know, in that cage stage, kind of overreacting, 
Um, I found a lot of help in Brian Chappell's book, Christ-Centered Preaching, and I still highly recommend that book. And I think I abused that book because he had this very memorable uh, chapter, I think, in telling us to avoid what he called be-like messages. Be like Noah, be like David. You know, then you get into the muddy waters, be like Jephthah. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be like Jephthah. Right. Um, and then it was John Frame who helped me. He said, you know, there, there's revelation of various kinds in scripture. And one of them is revelation through persons. You know, we we read something like the Narnia Chronicles and you just can't help but recognize Lucy is a character you want to emulate. And the same has to be true of Joseph and to an extent of Gideon, even the people who have this, you know, mixed uh, legacy that they leave us in the Bible, they are doing things that we can learn from. I'm, I'm in just total agreement with you. I have a, a question I like to ask. Um, there are, you know, the thing that you're called to right now seems to be one of the major things is this gospel project. Um, you are promoting in a very practical way um, for all ages, and I highly support that. The, the reading of the Bible, the whole Bible as Christian scripture, as pointing to Christ, as one story. But maybe you're aware that there are critics of your viewpoint on the one story of the Bible. I wonder if there are such people. Have you come across any criticism that you have found to be valid? Or have we already discussed those things? They've kind of been in the air about this whole issue. Or, or have you had any particular interaction with people whose criticisms you found to be actually helpful for you? Well, sure. I, I think there are um, th there are plenty of good critiques of this this view, and they come in different forms. I mean, one scholarly critique of the sort of overarching story is that they 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 may have problems with the way the story has been has been laid out. Um, you know, I, I've seen you know people like Scott McKnight or N.T. Wright and others say, "Hey, in a lot of the story focused expositions of the Bible, you sometimes." see Israel get skipped or doesn't really get as much attention as it deserves based on just the prominence of Israel in the Old Testament to where, you know, you could kind of tell the story a line of the Bible is creation, fall, you know, then right, skip from Adam to Jesus, right? As mm -hmm. if Israel is not a big point. I think that's uh, when we're summarizing the gospel, that could be, that can be uh, a problem. I think that's a, a valid critique um, of, of the, of the, sometimes the way the story of scripture gets told. Another critique that I think is very valid and, and needs, it's more of a warning rather than a critique, but it's to say, not all of the Bible is narrative. You know, not every single proverb needs to connect to Jesus in some obvious way and to try to force a Christ connection into every single aspect of the wisdom, every single proverb that you find in the wisdom literature, for example, isn't, first of all, that's not necessary, but that's also, it's actually counterproductive. You know, we have this overarching understanding that wisdom, lowercase w, on its own will not save us, but could 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 help us out in life. But it's, we need capital W wisdom. There is a connection there. The Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians when he calls Christ our wisdom. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that every single uh, moral exhortation in the Bible has to be connected to Jesus in some obvious way. And, and the same could be true of other genres of scripture. So um, it, it's true that the that the there is an overarching story of the Bible, but that story is not told as just one story. And even if you read a chronological 
a chronological Bible, which that can be a helpful tool. I mentioned it earlier. There's a reason, though, why that's not the Bible we carry around. Um, that this is this is not the way God um, um, uh, preserved His Word over the generations. He preserved it in this 66 books. That and these books have their own their own flavor, their own uh, um, uh, human imprint on them because he, he's inspired these these authors and writers. So I think keeping that in mind that the Bible does not come to us as just a narrative in its form is also important because that will keep us from flattening out the different genres of scripture and letting them speak to to uh, to us in the way that God intended them to. And, and it'll keep us as preachers and as Bible readers from sounding trite you know, like you said in the Proverbs, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. You know, you, you skip right to Jesus and make in that obvious way that you were warning against, you know, well, Jesus was trained up in the way that he should go. And right. when he was old, he did not depart from it. It just starts to feel pretty awkward. Um, and yet you're totally right that the, the, the whole uh, complex of wisdom literature only makes sense within a worldview in which wisdom with a capital W, as in Proverbs 8, you know, is uh, alongside God the Father creating the world. Um, that's why wisdom works, because we have this overarching worldview. So um, I like to compare Bible reading to um, a uh, hot air balloon and a magnifying glass. You go up in the hot air balloon and you get this, you call it a helicopter view, a bird's eye view. You can see the entire forest and that's so essential, but you're always going back down and whipping out your magnifying glass and examining individual trees in that forest. Right. Um, and I find that's another way of saying the hermeneutical spiral. You're, you're going back and forth from general to particular and Lord willing, hopefully, along with the assistance of your pastor and other Christians and good books that you read, the teachers of the church, you are able to come to a better and better understanding. I wonder, have you seen lay people, you know, regular Bible readers who don't have any of the formal training that you've been privileged to have and are not given the roles of teaching in the church that you have? Have you seen them through the Gospel Project or through um, other work that you've done in this area? Have you seen them come to know their Bibles and their God better through this approach? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. In fact, I mean, that's one of the things that we hear more. It's fascinating. We hear more sometimes from um, children's ministers, leaders, um, Sunday school teachers about how much this approach has changed their own view of the Bible. And how much it's helped them understand the the, the story of Scripture, um, Jesus Christ, and His redemption. They've come to appreciate it anew and afresh because of of their interaction. And um, I, I think that's extremely valuable and very important. And so, even though there are caveats that we must give with this, um, like like what we've mentioned about. Um, uh, that hermeneutical spiral that you mentioned is so so vitally important. Um, we've got to be careful that we don't let the one story of the Bible overrule the smaller stories of the Bible. I think is is uh, a good way to um, to to say that. I mean, it's is it appropriate to when you tell the parable of the Good Samaritan to perhaps see a glimpse of Jesus as the Good Samaritan who helps us in a spiritualized application of that. Yes, I think that's appropriate. I think Luke probably meant for that parable when 
it, it was included in that gospel to to give us a, a pointer to Jesus. But but you can't let that overrule the application which Jesus gave, which is go and do likewise, be be like the good Samaritan, be that kind of neighbor. Right. You know? And so I I think we've got some caveats that we have to to be careful with. But overall, this approach to understanding the Bible. It helps in worldview formation, character formation, biblical literacy. It helps us on a whole number of levels. I was myself teaching at a little Christian school convention, and very few people elected to attend my session. But ah, well, we jumped into this very topic, the one story of Scripture. And I had a very perceptive woman who was uh, teaching in a Christian school who had just taught in vacation Bible school. This was over the summer. And when she heard me give this talk during the Q&A portion, she raised her hand and said, okay, this is what I told my VBS kids last week. Is this okay? (laughs) And she was sensing the answer was probably going to be no. She said, okay, you got the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer and Saul, you know, being the only people in the kingdom who had swords. And she said, I drew the lesson to, to these children, be prepared. And I hadn't looked at that passage in quite some time, and I was on the spot and had to figure out how do I answer this. Now I'm putting you on the spot. What do you say to this woman, or how do you go about finding an answer when you a question is put to you like that? Well, I think I think you've got to. Um, I mean, obviously, you want to affirm people that are seeking to understand the scriptures and pass them on to others. So, uh, you know, that there there's a we're on the same team here, right. and we're trying to help each other understand the Bible and teach it well. Um, but I think there, you know, just a number of questions. Let, let's read, you know, read the whole passage again. What, what is the main, what is the main gist of this passage? What is the main um, uh, takeaway from this passage? The application that, that she's giving about being prepared or about following, is that the main application? Is it perhaps a, you know, uh, an application that's further down the line that you could take from it, but you want to be careful by saying it's not. I mean, there's there's something to be said for you can find multiple um, understanding, multiple interpretations or multiple applications in the text. But and sometimes I even in my own preaching, I may pull out an application that I don't think is the authorial. I don't think the author was intending to make that be the main application. But I would think that author would probably say, well, yeah, I I would agree overall with that, that you got that from this passage. Sometimes I'll do that in my preaching, but say, now, I don't think this is the main thing that this is going for, but hey, just a quick takeaway. I think the important thing is to try to keep the main thing, the main thing, and to help people understand how to, how to understand, how to interpret the Bible in a way that they get the main gist connected to the bigger story of the Bible. And then applications that seem forced or maybe a little to the side those tend to start to fall away when you're when you're reading scripture in light of the whole. That's wonderful. And I pray that anybody listening to the Bible Study Magazine podcast, that any of the many people to whom the Lord has given this opportunity of using the Gospel Project, your work and the work of others at Lifeway, would adopt this viewpoint, not because I'm in the cage stage anymore, but because I just care, and I know you do too, Trevin, about people's connection with the Lord through his word. And I think we're just talking about a way of being attentive 
to the form in which he chose to reveal himself verbally. We're just trying to submit ourselves to that form. Trevin, thank you for the work you've done in this area and for sharing some of your experience, even one of your failed experiences with the audience of the Bible Study Magazine podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor. I've got Matt Boffey, MDiv from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and content strategist at Faithlife here with me, and Daniel Motley, who's got an advanced MDiv from Southern, although they refuse to put the word advanced on his diploma, and he is still <laughs> bitter in a holy way, who puts together our many libraries for our Logos Base packages. And I've got Miles Custis, an MA in Biblical Studies from Trinity Western, who is the director of our instructional media department. And we've all just enjoyed listening to Trevin Wax talk about a topic I think we all care about. And okay, here's how we're going to start. If you don't mind, guys, I'm going to preach you a message, but it's going to be really short. Turn in your Bibles, flip, flip, flip the pages <clears throat> to a random page in the Old Testament. Okay, take a look at whatever law is there or whatever moral standard God demonstrates there. Now, you can't live up to that standard because you are too sinful. So, Jesus lived up to it for you, and he died for your failure to live up to it. Trust him, bow your head, close your eyes, come forward, amen. Closing him, you're dismissed. Critique my sermon. I think Bonhoeffer just rolled over in his grave when he when he heard you say that out loud. <laughs> That's not a critique. That's not a critique, but I think Bonhoeffer would critique that, that way, rolling in his grave. Um, that is too simple. That is not, uh, oddly enough, that is not the gospel, even though it sounds gospelish. It sounds nice but it's like a whitewashed tomb. You're going really hard on my sermon here, Daniel. <laughs> but I love you, brother. You better be a good friend. <laughs> Only my wife can talk like that. Oh. <laughs> Something that I think about is uh, what that sermon does not answer is why does God put that commandment there in the first place? If if we can't an- if we can't obey it, um, then why, you know, why would he have made it? So to talk about, okay, why did God tell the Israelites to do this specific thing? That's a great comment, Matt Boffey. And but isn't what I've said recognizable? Do you see that rhetorical move around you in the homiletical air, you know, the way people preach and teach the Bible? And not all not all our listeners are preachers, but they all read the Bible and they can make that same rhetorical move. I think it's with like absolute good intention. You know, there's no it's not it's not ill intended at all. It's a good intention of saying that. You want to affirm the goodness of God's grace for people. And the necessity of God's grace. Absolutely for 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 people who are bought by the blood of Jesus. But on the other hand, um, there's a real truth to what Trevin said in that interview when he talks about, and I, you, you said it as well, talking about how uh, we want to make sure that the Old Testament is put forward as an example of morality uh, because Paul himself put it forward as an example of morality. Um, so I, 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 would, I would, you know, definitely want to say that, yes, that is a truism, but... We want to make sure that we're not just, uh, you know, tossing out the baby with the bathwater. One thing that sticks out to me from your sermon that I don't see too often is that you preached from an Old Testament law to begin with. Uh, (laughs) You don't really see that in too many pulpits. And I think part of that is because, you know, people maybe don't know how to wrestle with that and to make it applicable to a modern audience without doing what you just did. You guys are really piling on. Now, one thing I do appreciate about your sermon is it was very short. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, but nobody came forward at the end, I noticed. I guess it was a total failure. Okay, so that's one ditch that preachers and Bible readers can fall into. 
overriding the contribution of an individual text. In effect, it doesn't matter what text you pick. You could run that process through it. And so why bother to listen to what God says? We could just do it with a list of character qualities that we came up with from, you know, Benjamin Franklin's list that he tried to hew to. Um, so that's one dish to fall into. Here, here's the other one. And Trevin Wax described it in this way, helping people connect the dots. In other words, there are people who don't have the dots connected. What if those dots remain discreet? What can go wrong in your Bible reading and interpretation? Yeah, as I was listening to the interview, um, I thought about, we often interpret stories in the Bible um, as if they were standalone scenes in a movie. You know, think about think about your favorite movie. I'll talk about Hook. Mm. You know, uh, when Robin Williams' character is dropped into Neverland, um, that's, I'm not saying that right, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And he's being chased around by all the Lost Boys. Now, if you just saw that one scene and he's just being chased by all the Lost Boys and it were asked, okay, what was the meaning of this clip? Like you would, uh, you know, uh, men in suits better not go where there are, you know, people wearing like <laughs> shrubbery, you know. Like, Come forward, amen. Right, exactly. So be careful where you walk in a suit. No, the point of that scene is, you know, wow, he's very out of touch with the world that he knew as a child and the, you know, it's raising the stakes for what he's going to have to do to rescue his children. Oh, okay. So that's what that scene's about. Well, in the same way, when we read the scriptures, um, you know, there is a reason that a scene is where it is and it contributes to a larger story. That was a wild analogy. I yes. really appreciated it. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with <laughs> yeah. me. I was wondering what Old Testament passage you were driving at here. I still don't see an actual connection to the Bible, but yes, in general, I, I totally agree with you there. I can't think of a passage where you're supposed to discover your childhood, but I have often thought of that scene where um, the dad, Robin Williams, hey, we're really getting off track here, but he he's on the plane with his kid and his kid's fooling around. And he says, uh, he just kind of yells at his kid, you're acting like a kid. <laughs> and that's a moment that I thought of so often as a parent, it is okay for our kids to be kids. Read the Bible for Life by George Guthrie is one book that Wax recommended, but we've got some book experts in here. I want to hear what other books would you hand to someone or have been influential for you in understanding the one story of scripture? Yeah. So like as soon as he was talking about that, the first book that came to mind for me was According to Plan by Graham Goldworthy. Graham Goldworthy. Uh, he was, because I read that as an undergrad in my New Testament studies class. And I remember just being blown away uh, just because he was connecting the dots so much for me. And I had never had those dots connected. I grew up Southern Baptist and, you know, had excellent preachers at our, at our church, but you know, we never had a real good understanding of, of the Bible and its totality and its, and its unity. Uh, so that was such an amazing book to read through and actually get for the first time, like a, a you know, just a three thirty thousand feet, you know, whatever uh, overview of what the Bible looks like in its total. Uh, as opposed to just, you know, picking your favorite story and just rereading it over and over again, either for devotionals or listening to sermons or or whatever that might be. So that's a huge one for me. And then another one that, that's been released relatively recently, I guess five years ago, well, it's been out for a long time, but it's been repackaged, um, has been uh, The Scarlet Thread Through the Bible by W.A. Criswell. I think it was a series of sermons that he wrote. And I think that uh, Trevin actually put together that book with Brandon Smith uh, uh, and just to get, uh, people, uh, you know, a, a kind of a short, a short look at what the Bible in its totality looks like with the cross at the center. And I really enjoyed that. So I would recommend those two resources according to plan by Graham Goesworthy and, uh, uh, the Scarlet Thread through the Bible by W.A. Criswell. Yeah. One book that comes to mind for me, um, 
is uh, The Drama of Scripture by Michael Goheen and Craig Bartholomew. Um, and, and actually, for a shameless plug for Mobile Ed, uh, Michael Goheen did a, a course kind of that follows along the same trajectory as the book called The Story of the Bible, which kind of explains how you can understand the Bible as one comprehensive story. Um, so they actually break it down into six different acts, you know, starting with creation and ending with, you know, the end of like, the, the king returning. Um, but one of the things that they emphasize or Goheen emphasizes in the course, at least, is that, you know, when you when you take it as one story, you have to take it as an authoritative and comprehensive story. And when you do so, you realize that it sort of explains the world. It explains where we came from, what we're doing here, why we're here, where we're going, how we should live. Um, so really it, it should be a worldview, you know, in the worldview of the Bible. Um, and when we treat it that way, or when we don't treat it that way, we kind of risk allowing whatever the dominant worldview of our day is to sort of overtake the worldview of the Bible. And then we sort of, fit the Bible into our worldview. Um, so you know, we all live in the West here. So we, we, there can be a tendency in Christianity in the West to sort of fit the Bible into Western Christianity with an emphasis on individualism or humanism or patriotism or these things that aren't necessarily part of the biblical story, but they're part of the Western story. And we don't see the Bible as one authoritative story necessarily. Yeah, you, you can't not be telling yourself an overarching story about the way the world is, where we've come from, what's wrong with our world, how we can fix it and where we're going. That's fundamentally narratival as we all are. And though I skipped the cage stage myself when it comes to the redemptive historical one story of scripture, when I came nearest to having a cage stage is when that insight came to me. I was working for a Christian publisher actually on their Bible integration team and saw suddenly what you just said, that the the every worldview out there tells a big story. And wait a minute, well, I know what the Christian story is. And I saw immediately and have seen over and over again throughout the years how easy really it is to apply creation, fall, redemption to everything that comes before my eyes, whatever it is, fundamentally somehow it was created by God at the beginning. Here's the beginning of the narrative. It's been touched somehow by the fall, Genesis 3, and then Christ's redemption will one day or is currently putting it under his feet. I find that to be exciting and useful. So although when I very first started to understand the one story of scripture, part of me was saying, well, I, I kind of already knew this. I knew all the individual elements and when you put them together, yeah, that's helpful. But it wasn't until I got to see this is my worldview, this story shapes the lenses through which I view all reality, that I started to really be able to use this in my life. We've got some guys in here who've done some preaching and teaching, I know. Wax told us about a time he accidentally preached a statement from one of Job's erring friends as authoritative and true. I've done equally bad things. Don't ask me what they are. I'm going to ask you instead. I want maybe a more specific example of how missing the overarching story, not just the book level context, has misled you in your preaching, teaching, or reading of the Bible. Do you regret any sermons or Bible lessons you taught, anything you've written on, on the Bible? I think that there probably exists on the internet somewhere where I preached a sermon on Psalm 42 and did not bother to tie it to Jesus Christ. So that exists, and I'm kind of painfully uh, upset that that still exists somewhere on the internet. But that's my my story. It's bad. Um, and so if I had to go back and uh, change that, obviously I would want to make sure to tie the text itself to the the cross. You know, the whole the whole story of Jesus Christ's redemption for sinners. 
Um, but yeah, and I know that there have been several in my, you know, cause I started preaching probably when I was seven, 16 or 17, I started very young. Uh, so I'm sure there's been a host of sermons, but the, the nice thing is, is that, uh, you know, people are gracious, <laughs> even if I'm not gracious to myself, you know, there, there are people who are gracious and they understand and they, they and they want to help you, help you get better. And Trevin's comments about, uh, whenever he was talking about the person you were talking to at that convention, like you'd want to tell them, uh, Hey, that's, you know, you're, you're trying and you were on the same team and that, that's really good to hear. And I think anyone listening right now, who's, you know, who may be embarrassed about their teaching capabilities or, or, or if they're going to say the wrong thing, it's like, you're probably going to say the wrong thing, but, but God's gracious and other people are too. And, and he'll use those words. Right? You did say two things that don't fit Daniel. And that is your sermon is probably on the internet somewhere. And you said people are gracious. <laughs> I'm saying, let's just hope the people on the internet don't find your sermon. And that's one yes. thing that's not cool about being a preacher today <laughs> is that your very first sermon may live forever. So get as much education as you possibly uh, can get ready to preach the Bible accurately. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, when I first started preaching in earnest, it was actually around the same time that I was starting a biblical exposition training program that was very much founded on this, um, you know, perspective of how the Bible holds together. And so I was fortunate to be in the position where, um, I was presenting an outline on a would be sermon and someone much further along in this process than me would be gracious enough to say, did you know that this old Testament passage that you're preaching on is quoted in the new Testament and that they have that they interpret it for you? And, you know, I had no idea. So I would have walked up uh, onto a pulpit and preached an old Testament text with no clue that it's treated in the new Testament in a certain way. And that is a great reason to get some seminary education. If the Lord allows you to, or to do so, through another shameless plug, buying Logos Bible software, or just good books like the ones that we've mentioned. But going to a school does enable you to be in this situation where you've paid somebody to tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> there are very other, few other situations like that where you're actually asking people to do that. Your church people are hopefully going to be gracious to you, or it's going to be the other ditch. <laughs> uh, to get constructive criticism on this, I find to be so helpful. You, It's so hard. I found it for myself to start out and remember all the stuff I'm supposed to remember and actually put it into the sermon, it has been so helpful to get constructive critique. And another thing I'd say is Mary Well, a girl who's um, gotten good training herself, can spot those errors. And my wife genuinely has done that for me. I'm really grateful. The Bible Study Magazine podcast uh, first season is all about biblical literacy. And I just want you guys to just chime in and tell me, Briefly, how important has this been? I've kind of already heard this, this one story of scripture viewpoint to your biblical literacy. Yeah, I think it's been um, crucial and, and it's it's a complicated thing because you kind of have to do two things at once. I have, you know, an academic biblical studies degree or you, they, you know, was really taught to emphasize the original context of the books and just sort of what's the original author's meaning. And you have to, you have to balance that. You have to let each book tell its own story and interpret it in light of what its author is trying to say. And then you also have to try to understand how that fits into the larger story. Um, so there could be a danger of taking the larger story of the Bible and then just trying to shoehorn the other pieces without first understanding what they're trying to say into your understanding of the larger story, which may or may not make sense given, you know, the original purpose of the book. So it, it's a complicated thing. It requires a, I, I like your mm -hmm. analogy of the hot air balloon and the magnifying glass. You really need to do to do both and do it well. So I'm hearing there are dangers. We've talked about those, but you use the word crucial. And let me just put in another vote for crucial. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, one benefit of this for Bible reading and, and application is that it really opens up the Old Testament even more. The, 
I, before I knew about this, the Old Testament was valuable to me. Uh, you know, probably principally in the in the sense of you know, moral lessons and, and moral uh, direction. But when you learn that the Old Testament is looking forward to Christ and to use someone else's uh, language, that the light of Christ is shining back on the Old Testament, it just it helps you to appropriate those texts to your life in the spirit in ways that were very difficult to do beforehand. Um, so in that way, I found it has really enriched my experience with the Old Testament. My, my parallel before I asked Daniel to chime in on that is that I used to sit in uh, preaching services, especially with guest preachers. My pastor was not guilty of this. And I was a budding preacher myself. And so I knew at some level, ah, I'm going to have to understand this at some point, but I would sit and listen to messages from the Old Testament, particularly ones that only focused on the morals and that somehow found a way to alliterate them all. That somehow they were always able to do this. <laughs> I would sit there thinking, I don't think that's what this passage is telling us, but I don't know what it's telling us. And it wasn't until I got to this one story of scripture viewpoint, which really isn't that difficult. I don't know why I didn't get it before. Maybe just my spiritual dullness or physical immaturity. But it wasn't until I saw that, that I was able to fit those dots into a pattern. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, when we talk about biblical literacy, I think obviously we would all agree that the most crucial thing for, to, to combat Ill illiteracy is to actually open the book up and read. And so the, when we talk about crucial, like I do think it's crucial when we get into the text to actually, when we actually read it, that getting that overview of scripture is, is essential. But I mean, obviously just encouraging people to even begin is, is going to be the most important thing uh, and finding important and finding interesting ways to get people into the Bible. I know that Trevin's uh, gospel project is, is, you know, they're trying to utilize different ways to get people to, to engage with the text um, and and also sneaking in, so to speak, you know the the, the this idea of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. I, I, I would say even introducing it at the outset that way, there's not a possibility that that people won't read the Bible in some other way that wouldn't have that. Um, so uh, that that that's that's kind of my thought on the cruciality. Daniel, you just let your Southern Baptist identity override your faith life identity because we don't sell the Gospel Project. But you hear it here, folks, that we actually just really want you to get things that help you understand the Bible better, not necessarily that are in our base packages. Yeah, along those lines, if I can return to your question about um, books, one book that would be really helpful, I think, especially for teachers of the Bible, um, but really anyone, is the commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament, Carson and Beale. That book is going to equip you with, just by watching the way that they show how those, how the new Testament treats the old, you're going to see some of those uh, pivots, so to speak, that you make from the old Testament to the new, as you learn to, to relate the passages together. Um, things like type or illusion or reference or quotation, those sorts of things. Speaking of pivoting, thank you for coming on the Bible study magazine podcast. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Support for the Bible Study Magazine podcast comes from Logos Bible Software. Start a better, deeper Bible study experience with Logos 8 Fundamentals. Explore scripture more thoroughly than you ever imagined with Factbook, an encyclopedia of biblical places, people, and events. Workflows that walk you step-by-step -step through your Bible study. Notes and highlights powerful and integrated note-taking capabilities for insights, ideas, and questions available in your Logos digital library, and much more. Learn more about Logos 8 fundamentals and how it will transform your Bible study at logos.com slash 
fundamentals. You've been listening to the Bible Study Magazine podcast, and clearly, you had a good time. Our producer is Kaylee Joyce. Our audio technicians are Brandon Van Beek and Jack Underwood. And I am your host, Mark Ward, academic editor at Lexham Press, the publishing arm of Faith Life, whose mission it is to equip the church with technology to grow in the light of the Bible.